The U.S. National Intelligence Council releases research letting everyone know just how screwed we really are. Unless, don't worry guys, there's a silver lining in all this. Unless we hand over control to the all-wise and ever-merciful ruling elite to have your best in mind. And Alexis de Tocqueville speaks from his grave with a prophetic warning from 161 years after his death. Hey, it's the Lucas Grobot, and welcome to the Lucas Grobot Show, where we uncover purpose, discern truth, and own the future. I'm your host, Lucas Scrobot, and today... As I said, we're looking at what the U.S. spy intelligence, the National Intelligence Council, released concerning the terrible future that you and I have ahead of us in the next 20 to 30 years. It's a pretty bleak outlook, but that is why we're here. We're here to ask not how can we save the world, but how can we own our futures? How can we take responsibilities for ourselves? for our community, for the people around us. And this is what de Tocqueville speaks about, which we'll be getting into the second half of this episode, where he gives the solution to this problem. And he gave the solution all the way back in 19 or 1835, 1840, with his book on democracy in America. And actually, he died 161 years ago on April 16th, which is just a few days from now. He died on my birthday. That's a good day. So I'm 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 claiming I'm claiming his uh his mantle, claiming it as my own. So, but what does the US Intelligent Council say? Well, before we get into what they say, I want to remind you that if you are just listening to the show, I mean, that's good. You're gonna get a lot out of it. It's it's gonna be helpful, it's gonna be beneficial, it's gonna be informative to your world. But in order for th- For this to go beyond just something that you hear, you have to take action. You have to take action to actually apply this to our lives. And the best way that we can do that is by talking about it with friends. I would encourage you to share this with your friends and sit down and have a conversation and ask, okay, how can we begin to apply these things in our life? How can we begin to apply, as the Talkville mentions towards the end of this episode, self-governance in our life? How can we step out from relying on central governments who really don't have our best in mind and the populace and egalitarianism and believing that, okay, well, you have your truth and I have my truth. How can we step out from that and begin to build infrastructure in our lives for our community to help others around us rather than waiting for someone else to do it for us. Now, what does what does the bad news that the this the US intelligence community have for us? Well, Bloomberg summarized some of the points. They said that the US intelligence community predicts an increasingly leaderless and unstable world in the coming decades as trends such as artificial intelligence, digital currencies, and <gasps> climate change reshape the global arena, according to the National Intelligence Council. The coming decades will be characterized with a mismatch between global challenges and the ability for institutions and systems to respond. So the U.S. 
intelligence community released this report. It's quite a long and detailed report. I read probably about half of it. It's titled Global Trends 2040, a more contested world, of course, referring to the challenges with climate change, the challenges with AI and technology, the challenges with geopolitical situations, especially with China, a large focus on China, of course. But there's a few points that both Bloomberg and I found actually uh, quite important that are quite applicable to uh, you know our lives right now. The first one was debt pressures. The globe is in a time of exceeding debt pressures uh, compared to 2007 to 2021, especially after this past year of 2020, we have seen debt to GDP ratios across the globe explode. Now, when you're at about a 90% debt to GDP ratio, it means that every dollar that you print to stimulate the economy, every dollar will have about a dollar and 10 cents return as long as you're beneath that 90% debt to GDP ratio. But if you look at the stats, we see nations like Canada, America, Brazil, India, Oman, Yemen, UAE, Egypt, South Africa, China is getting near there, Australia is getting near there, uh, Japan, all almost all of Europe has a higher than 90% debt to GDP ratio. This is a really bad look. This is a bad situation for the US dollar for the global economy. How do we dig ourselves out of this hole? Because the more that we print money, it actually only causes hyperinflation. But we're not seeing hyperinflation quite yet. We're beginning to see some of it. But the way that hyperinflation happens is when there is an excessive cash flow. But right now, governments have been printing money. And any stimulus money that has been coming in to people's bank accounts has been either used to pay off debt, which is not adding to cash flow in the economy, or they are putting it into the stock market, hoping, okay, well, maybe I can get lucky on a boom. Or they're saying, I don't know if I have job security in the coming days. I'm going to save this money just in case I need it down the road. Maybe they're paying off mortgages. Regardless, it's not entering the economy like it might have entered back in 2008 or 2000 and 2001. These stimuluses are not entering and fueling the economy. But when we begin to come out of this and we begin to see a recovery, there will be people will begin to actually spend those dollars. And at that point, we will see a massive influx of cash flow and liquidity, which that will drive inflation up. Now, this moves on to the next point that the Intelligence Committee makes, which is the the dangers of digital currency, that is Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies alike. In the report, they said, the financial sector is not immune from the technological changes that are transforming other industries. Digital currencies are likely to gain wider acceptance during the next two decades as the number of central bank digital currencies increase. China Central Bank launched its digital currency in 2020 and a consortium of central banks working in conjunction with the Bank of International Settlements is exploring foundational principles 
for sovereign digital currencies. The introduction of private digital currencies such as Facebook's proposed Libra would further drive acceptance of digital currencies. The extent to which private issued digital currencies will provide a substitute for the use of national or regional fiat currencies, including the US dollar or the euro, to settle transactions will depend on the regulatory rules that are established. Goes on to say in the report, the US dollar and the euro are likely to face threats from other fiat currencies, the potential of which will depend on the changes of the current international financial architecture and the global importance of international linkages. Privately issued digital currencies could add a complexity to the conduct of monetary policy by reducing countries' control over their exchange and money supply. It is very important. It is very important to these global governments that they are able to control and regulate the monetary system. The reason why that I I am concerned and I do not I do not see a longevity for something like Bitcoin is because the US government in order for it to run and global governments from China to the UK to any any nation state relies on bonds which is the government buying or issuing debt to loaners and 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 lenders so a US government bond they say hey you give me $100,000 I'll give you a bond and I'll pay you interest over time I'll give you a, you're giving me a loan I'll pay you interest over time and then I'll give this money back to you at the end of this loan and Typically in America, a U.S. bond is a very secure, nearly guaranteed investment. The reason that governments need bonds is that is how they create cash. That is how they pay off their other debts. They're borrowing to then pay off debts, to then borrow, to then pay off debts. And in order for the economy to continue to grow, in order for these nations to be able to control their fiat and their cash flow, they have to be able to continue to print more and more money so that there is a slight inflationary uh, a cause on their currency. Because if there's not an inflationary cause but a, a, a totally deflationary situation, well, then why would you ever spend your money? Why would you ever spend your currency? Why would I buy something that's $100 today when I know I can wait a month and that $100 will get me two of that same product. It decentivizes the cash flow. And you need cash flow for a, a company or for an organization or for a nation to survive. So Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies alike really challenge the centralized banking system because they want control. They want to know what's going on. And they are reliant and they need that cash flow flowing through them in order for them to stay afloat. It's power in order for them to stay afloat. Cryptocurrencies are very antithetical to centralized power, which is the, the whole idea of Bitcoin. The idea of Bitcoin is we can set up our own digital currency where everyone has a ledger. This ledger is public. It can't be changed, which is the blockchain technology, and everyone can see it. So we can know every single transaction. But the problem with Bitcoin is that it's capped at 21 million coins. It cannot exceed that. 
So, and another problem for the governments with Bitcoin is that it, it cuts them out of the equation. It cuts them out of their ability to control. So we may end up seeing in a number of years, the government coming in with more and more regulations trying to control the market, which could end up helping Bitcoin or could actually be its demise. Because a lot of people who originally moved into cryptocurrencies moved in because they said, we do not trust the dollar. We do not trust the centralized government. We do not want them having control or access to our bank accounts to be able to turn on or off our cash flow on their whim. And we've seen this. We've seen the government can just, if they don't like who you are or what you say, they can just turn off your bank account. And one of the powers that digital currencies have is that governments and institutions are no longer able to merely freeze those accounts. So this is a challenge that we're seeing. But notice that it puts the power away from centralized government back into the hands of the individual, which is what the U.S. National uh, Intelligence Council is saying is quite problematic because they need the control. They go on to say that climate pressure Climate change will drive social division within the states and exacerbate international tensions. It will worsen water insecurities as well as increase pressures for migration. Climate change. It is, we, we have talked about it a number of times and I often think to myself, why, why are we even talking? Why am I even talking about climate change? Now, of course, there is real science. There is real data out there saying that there is a warming of the climate. There is a changing of the climate. Whether the, the extent to which this is man-made or not, we don't know. The extent to which our predictions are correct, we don't know. We know that since 1960, they've been making predictions on, on Earth Day, which is April 22nd, just coming up, of all the catastrophes that was going to happen. I believe John Kerry said in 2005 that within five years, the ice caps were going to melt and all these coastal areas are going to be completely flooded. So we keep on hearing this doomsday, doomsday uh, rhetoric and, 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 and thought process. And you have to begin to ask, well, wh what is the agenda here? Is there a greater agenda? And there is because this agenda of pushing climate change and pushing this doomsday narrative drives people to fear and makes people willing to give up their own life expectancy, to give up their own, own income, to give up their own quality of life, to give more and more power and oversight to the government, more centralized control. Another problem that they cite in the study is AI-powered propaganda, the proliferation of digital technology and advances in artificial intelligence will open the door for both states and non-state actors to influence populations, including by ratcheting up cognitive manipulation and socialized polarization. This is happening. We've already seen it. We're seeing it now. And we're, we're not just seeing it by actors, but we see it by the people who are controlling these platforms themselves. We just talked about this in the previous episode, episode 213, how big tech is able to spin their algorithms, 
how they are able to turn on and off whose voice gets heard or not heard. They have an extraordinary amount of power to control what you see and color the opinions that you have based on search results or based on what gets fact-checked and who is doing that fact-checking. So we are at a point in history, I believe, and many other are agreeing, especially in light of, of what's been happening over the last year, it's a pivotal point in history that will define where we all end up, where our children and grandchildren end up over the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. I don't think this is a, a something that's just happening in this moment, but I believe that this is going to be played out over the next number of years, if not decade or two. How will we respond in this hinge point? Will we continue to give up our liberties? Will we continue to give up our self-governance? Will we continue to entrust the, the elites and the governments of the world to do what they think is best? To give over our freedoms to those who really have your best in mind? Or are we going to stand up and take self-governance? and take our own responsibility and take responsibility for those around us in our community around us to mobilize and act even when no one else is doing it for us. But we, someone has to be the ones to stand up and take care of people who need help to take care of their community. We cannot just be self-focused in our self-governance. Well, we are witnessing what the, the savant Alexis de Tocqueville uh, prophesied and spoke about in his book, Democracy in America, his two-part volume. The first volume was published in 1835, second one in 1840. And de Tocqueville, he, he's from French, from French, he was from France. And, uh, you know, as an American, there's a, there's a funny, there's a funny, uh, disposition towards the French. I mean, I don't know if we really, us Americans really like the French too much. Um, we're often very skeptical about anything that comes out of France, um, including the, the Paris, uh, Paris Accords, which say that Paris Climate Change Accords, which say that, you know, we, by 2050, we need to be zero emissions and it will come at the cost, you know, the Green New Deal will come at the cost of uh, trillions of dollars of GDP and I believe, damage each individual family, uh, at least in America, by $20,000. So we are very skeptical as Americans of that. I think one good thing that we would probably all agree would come out of France would be French fries, but I'm pretty sure French fries came from Belgium, not even France. So that doesn't even count. But one good thing, at least, besides the Statue of Liberty, I do love France, by the way. I've never been, but if you're French, I love you. <laughs> One good thing that came out of France was de Tocqueville. Alexis de Tocqueville, he was French and he came to America sent by the French government specifically to study the American prison system, but he had other ideas in mind. He spent nine months studying the stark difference in culture between America and France, studying the difference between democracy and the republic in America and the, the ruling elite of France. He's saying, well, what makes America different? It's such a different culture. They think differently. Now, 
in de Tocqueville's writing, he points out that at the root of everything in American society back in 18, 1830s, he says at the root of all was the Puritan founding that made democracy in America successful as a republic. It was the Puritans that came over from, from Europe, from the Netherlands, from England. They came over to the West and they set up society around this idea that we must be self-governed, that it was the, the morals, the, the culture that was the premier thing. And that happened from our heart moral, all coming back down to what the Puritans believed about the Bible, about the truth in the Bible, and about the morality that is present in the Bible. He said then after that comes things like laws and and rules of the land. But the culture was driven by what was in people's hearts. It was driven by self-governance, not driven by a political system. He noted that democracy works when individuals self-govern and remain, this is important, and remain connected to their communities and active in society. The moment that people became so individualized, became just skewed so much to rugged individuality, and they forgot their communities, and they forgot to be active in society, that democracy begins to break down. Now, there are five values that made American democracy so great. But as you might suspect, that it's the things that make someone great and strongest can also be the very thing that causes them to fall, the very thing that causes their demise. So here are the five points that de Tocqueville points out that makes American democracy successful and great. First is Americans love for liberty. They love liberty. They love freedom. They don't want to be ruled by someone. They want to rule themselves. The second is egalitarianism. Egalitarianism is the, the belief that we are all equal. The belief that you as an individual and me as an individual, we have equal rights and we should have equal opportunity. The third point was individualism. That the individual is the supreme expression of the state, that the state exists to serve the individual. It's not the individual existing to serve the state. And we talked about this uh Back last year when we looked at the differences between the American Revolution of 1776 and the French, bloody French Revolution uh, that happened right around 1786, I believe. And now there's a very stark difference in those, in those two ideas. The fourth one was populism. Populism is saying that rather than trusting the ruling elites, we're going to trust and we're going to listen to and we're going to think of what the, the majority of the people want. We're going to let the common man have a place in, in civil society. And we see that through even the court system in America, where it's, it's the common man, which is the, the jury, and argues in the, in the place of law, where the common man has the ability to engage in local politics. 
invoked populism. It's one of the things that m- makes uh, democracy in America great. And the fourth, the fifth one was laissez-faire, which laissez-faire is essentially says, do as you wish. It's saying, don't, don't worry about having someone else control what you do. You go and do it. You take initiative. And you don't need to have a bunch of, of rules and legislation and regulation to control your business or control your life. But you have freedom to do as you wish. Now, these are, are great values. But if these values get skewed, as we will see, has happened in the West and has happened, I believe, really across the globe as we see this uh, slow crumbling of democracy. As these values get skewed, we actually can find ourselves falling into one of two pl- well, two places. We find ourselves falling into, into soft depotism or soft totalitarianism. Now, soft depotism is when there's a bunch of rules and regulations in society and it's it's very soft it's very subtle and so you still have this this feeling of freedom but really there's so much control over your life that you are your soul is crushed your strength is crushed you're just worn down by the bureaucracies and you just give up and you just give yourself over to saying well this is just how the system is Whereas soft tyranny is more of the analogy of a parent or a schoolmaster controlling everything in a child's life and prolonging a child's adolescence. This is the result of when these five values get out of whack. So to talk, Phil, observed how liberty and the need for social cooperation give people incentives to be virtuous. He writes, I have often seen Americans make great and real sacrifices to the public welfare. I have noticed a hundred instances in which they hardly ever fail to lend faithful support to one another. The free institutions which the inhabitants of the United States possess and the political rights which they make so much use of reminds every citizen and in a thousand ways that he lives in society. They, every instant, impress upon his mind the notion that it is the duty as well as the interest of men to make themselves useful to their fellow creatures. And, as he sees no particular grounds of animosity to them, since he is never either their master or their slave, his heart readily leans to the side of kindness. Here to Talkville is saying that when people self-govern, when they are individuals who see each other as equal, they then readily help one another. When they see that I'm not someone's master and I'm no one's slave, but I'm equal with one another and I'm self-regulating and self-governing myself. I'm I'm living out of a, a, a moral foundation rather than being controlled by a set of outside laws and regulations that mankind stand up and they help and they serve one another. But the Tocqueville warns about what happens when a nation begins to value equality over liberty, 
when we begin to focus on the fact that, well, I'm equal and you're equal and I have my thoughts and you have your thoughts and you have your truth and I have my truth and we're all, all of our truths are equal. But because we so value in Western culture, which is a part of its downfall, because we so value equality and egalitarianism, that then diminishes ability to have critical thoughts or critical thinking. How so? You would think that rugged individual individualism or individuality would cause us to have more uh, disparity of thoughts and opinions. But really, because we value equality over liberty these days. Once the majority says, this is what I believe, this is what I think, we then in turn fall lockstep in, in line because we do not want to disagree with the majority. We want to be tolerant of other people's points of view, even if we look at the data and we say, actually, I have a different opinion, but we're not going to share that different opinion because we value equality. The Tocqueville writes, democracy extends the sphere of individual freedom. Socialism restricts it. Democracy attaches all positive value to each man. Socialism makes each man a mere agent, a mere number. Democracy and socialism have nothing in common but one word, equality. But notice the difference. While democracy seeks equality and liberty, socialism seeks equality and restraint and servitude. Democracy, real democracy, seeks equality and liberty, saying, I have a, a, my equal level of liberty, and I want to fight to make sure that you have equality and liberty as well, that you have the liberty to pursue what you want to do, to make a life for yourself, to live to be free, to not be enslaved or in bondage. I want to make sure you have liberty, but I want to preserve my liberty too. It's equality and liberty where socialism seeks equality and restraint and servitude saying, you have to do as much as me. My opinion is just as worthy and valuable as your opinion. It's making everything down to the lowest common denominator. So how does this breakdown of society happen? It's the atomization of individuality, which is a very Puritan idea that we have the individual as the supreme being of the state. But when that Puritan individualism is taken to an extreme, where, as the Tocqueville says, it deposes each citizen to cut himself off from the masses of his fellow man, leaving the larger society to take care of itself. These people owe nothing to anyone. Thus, not only does democracy cause each man to forget his forebears, but it makes it difficult to see his, his offspring and cuts him off from his contemporaries. Again and again, it leads him back to himself and threatens ultimately to imprison him altogether in the loneliness of his own heart. Now, we can see this, I believe, in, in an extent of what we're seeing right now with cryptocurrencies, is that mankind is saying, I want to be free from the control of government, from the monetary system of just printing dollars 
since since the moment that the dollar came off the gold standard, dollars are nothing just a, but a bunch of IOUs. They mean nothing. They're not pegged really to anything. And the more that you, it, you can just print and print and print, there's no standard for it, which has caused a lot of people to be very distrusting of fiat currency because it's not tied to a gold standard. It's not backed by anything. And so they're they're leaving the system because they say, I want to be an individual. I want to be free. I think a positive thing that I've seen within the, the Bitcoin and the crypto world is that they feel like they are bonded to one another in a tribe with one another where they're working to create something that's better for the entire society, where they're serving one another and not just thinking of themselves and of their bottom line. Now, of course, there's a bunch of crooks out there, but in general, on, on the good side of things, there is a sense of we are building something together. And so there, I think there's a, an image of that puritism uh, individuality where they are saying we want our own self-governance and we want to have a public ledger so we can see and keep everyone honest. And at the same time, we're building together, connecting within society. But the problem is that falls outside of that control that governments, central governments and central banks need to remain afloat and also need to keep entire nations afloat. And so th there's a, a balance, a tension between fully cutting ourselves off and therefore cutting our forebearers, our, our forefathers off and our children's off and only thinking about ourselves and not even being able to connect with our contemporaries. And so it's this rugged individualism that disconnects us from society and at the same time causes a skepticism for authority, for anyone who would tell us what is true. But that then turns back, it turns back to egalitarianism, as we mentioned. And we begin to say, well, my opinion is just as valid as the doctor's opinion because, you know, I'm a doctor too. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a doctor too. <laughs> and that egalitarianism then that turns into populism because it's no longer are we valuing liberty in our individual freedoms where we're saying, well, everyone's equal, everyone's opinions equal. De Tocqueville points out that American equality and materialism don't provide fertile ground for deep thought as people increasingly resemble one another. Each man intellectually feels weaker and vice versa, all others, and loses confidence in himself when they combat him. He finds it very difficult to believe what the masses reject and to profess what they condemn. This is definitely happening in society today. People are afraid to say what they really think. And when oftentimes when I say what I really think, the responses that I have heard is, Lucas, you can't say that. You, you, you can't say that. I'm like, well, why can't, why can't I say that? He continues, and usually ends up admitting he is wrong when most people say that he is. This is the tyranny of the majority. De Tocqueville says, in no other country where there is, in general, less independence of mind and true freedom of discussion than in America. Now, this was back 160 years ago. He said, even though there is so much freedom, and liberty, that freedom has actually caused 
to a lack of independent thought and critical thinking because we are too worried about egalitarianism. Now, that leads to the tyranny of the masses and populism. Now, populism has gotten a really bad rap over the last years because the elites have been pushing against populism because they don't want to be pushed out of control and out of rule and out of power. They say, you you little people stay down there. We don't want the populace engaging in society. Let us have the power and let us rule. But when, and this is a good thing, populism is a good thing, except when it gets out of hand, except when the 51% rule over the 49% and it's the tyranny of the majority. And then when someone's thoughts, someone's opinion gets squashed in silence by that majority because we have this high value of egalitarianism and populism and say, well, if this is what the majority believes, then we're just going to let them believe it. And I'm just going to admit, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe I'm actually not as smart as I thought I was. With this, we begin to see step-by-step step a further breakdown. We go from a great society to we have this atomization. From the atomization, we we push too much into egalitarianism because we say, well, everyone's opinion matters. That then moves into the tyranny of populism and the tyranny of the majority and that tyranny of the majority. And then with the tyranny of the majority, we fall into the destruction of free markets. Why? Because above this atomization, after all of this breakdown, we see that there is an immense and protective power which alone is responsible for looking after the enjoyments of people and watching over their destinies, that is, the government. This is how de Tocqueville describes the government. And it's a, a reverse patriarchy in a way, as a real patriarchy prepares, as de Tocqueville says, prepares men for manhood. But the government, de Tocqueville writes, is actually seeking to keep their citizens in perpetual childhood. Why would you want to keep your citizens in perpetual childhood? Well, remember, they're saying, we are going to take care of you. We are going to make sure that there's equality. We are going to make sure that the rule of law is put forth. We are going to make sure that as you as an individual are chasing your dreams, that you're comfortable. Because, and this happens because we give up our self-governance and we give it over to the government. And we say, you govern us, you rule over us, you tell us what's right and wrong, you provide for us, you become our father and keep us in perpetual adolescence. And that perpetual adolescence then leads to more and more regulation. That 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 adolescence leads to the government stepping in more and more and the populace stepping in more and more saying, well, we need to protect this group of people. We need to protect this uh, body of work. We need to protect these sorts of workers. We need to have these unions. We need to have these all this red tape and bureaucracy in order to get anything done. And that bureaucracy is what de Tocqueville calls a soft depotism where a society is overrun by a small network of complicated rules. He writes, After 
having thus successfully taken each member of the community in its powerful grasp and fashioned him, the supreme power then extends its arm over the whole community. It covers a surface of society with a network of small, complicated rules, minute and uniform, though which the most original mind and the most energetic characters cannot penetrate to rise above the crowd. The will of man is not shattered, but softened, bent, guided. Men are seldom forced by it to act, but they are constantly constrained from acting. Such a power does not destroy, but it prevents existence. It is, does not tyrannize, but it compresses, extinguishes, and stupefies a people till each nation is reduced to nothing better than a flock of timid and industrious animals of which the power and the government is the shepherd. This is what we are seeing right now across democracies. It is, there's so, there are so many rules, political correctness. You can't do this. You have to do this. You can't do this. You must do this. Oh, you have to fill out that form. All these hoops to jump through and it wears, it wears on the soul of, of men and women alike. So what then is the solution? If we have fallen so far, if we are, our individuality has become so atomized, we've become so disconnected from society around us, and at the same time saying, well, everyone's equal, everyone's ideas matter, which then moves into the tyranny of the majority, which then moves into soft depotism and the destruction of free markets where everything that you do is controlled and it sucks out the energy and the soul of mankind, ultimately destroying liberty, ultimately destroying you and my ability to feel and live free. How is that combated? Well, there is an answer, and we are going to cover that in our closing Weaver and Loom segment, so don't go away. Welcome back to Weaver and Loom, a segment of the show where we take ancient wisdom and we weave it in with our everyday lives. We've been talking about soft depotism. We've been talking about the, the deterioration of democratic societies and how democratic societies fail. And we're going to, in this ending, short ending segment, we're going to touch on the solution. Right now, as we began this episode, we, we see that the the future looks quite bleak and the government wants more and more control. And I believe in the next 10, 20 years, we're going to see a, a turn in society. I don't think you have to be that smart or you know a savant to be able to say that or predict that. I don't think that's actually too original. A lot of people are seeing it right now because it's in the ether. It's in the, the zeitgeist. You can look around and see it with your eyes. It's noticeable. But we will either move towards more centralized control or we can do as de Tocqueville suggests and we can move to a place where we self-govern. We can move to uh, societies, local communities where individuals stand up 
and become connected within their community and serve their community, which leaves us to the quote for today, love your neighbor as yourself by the one and only Jesus Christ. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is simple, but yet packed in that is something so powerful. First, it says that you have to love yourself. Now, when I talk about loving yourself, I do not mean all of that that self-care that, oh, you know, it's just been so hard for me. I need to take five days off and, you know, go to the spa. I mean, if you go to the spa, that's great. But it's not about this whole soul care, self-care, you know, inward focus, extreme atomization of the individual. But it's really, we have to look at what love is. Love is patience. It's kindness. It's gentleness. You have to be gentle towards yourself. But it's also long-suffering. It's enduring. It's believing all things. It's hoping all things. So as individuals, we have to believe in ourselves. But in order to love, we have to be long-suffering, long-suffering, having endurance, having strength, being willing to go through hard storms in life and endure them, one, for ourselves without giving up, without shrinking back, and to endure them for our children, for our, the people around us, for our forefathers, to be able to endure these things, loving ourselves. And in this is love your neighbor as yourself. So that in embedded in this very short sentence is also the fact that you and I need to be connected to our communities. I started this episode sharing that don't just listen to this, but talk about this with your friends. Talk about this within your community. Ask, how can we become a community that is more self-governed? How can we become individuals that are self-governed by the, the culture, the morals, the values that are in our hearts? Where does that come from? Where does that, that moral basis of agreement of a, a truth from another world, where does that come from? As the Puritans believed, they believed in an absolute truth that said, this is, this is how we self-govern ourselves. When we have an issue, we're not bringing in a magistrate. We're not bringing in a, a court case. We're not, we're not calling the cops on our neighbor, but we're able to connect with our neighbor. We, we've dealt with that, with a, a neighbor that instead of them coming to us whenever the issue, they're always, you know, calling the landlord calling the property manager. And we went to them and said, hey, like that makes it like really tense between us. Let's let's work it out between ourselves. If there's something, just please, oh my goodness, tell us we'd hate to do anything to offend you. You know, we, we want to be a good neighbor. And they're like, oh yeah, I didn't think about that. But it's so common. It's so common for us to look for someone else to intervene in our problems. But in order to set that cultural standard, we have to have conversation and bring other people into this so we're not doing it alone. That is all for this episode. It's, it is. When you look at the future of the world, there are a lot of scary things coming down the pipe. There's lots of uncertainty coming down the pipe. But with that, I actually believe that we are in such an amazing time of history where we can 
rise up and self-govern. We we have more resources available to us, more communication tools available to us to be able to connect with our neighbor and serve our community and rise up to take initiative to make the world around us a better place without waiting for government institution to step in, without waiting for government funding to step in, without waiting for someone else to say, hey, I'm going to come and and create a program to solve this problem. But it's through individuals like you and me standing up in that free market, in the, the be- belief that is our responsibility to our community around us to help as we can because we are equals and we fight for one another's liberty, that is where I believe the match is struck and we can see Drastic change, at least in small pockets of society. And that is really where everything boils down to. It boils down to individuals and local government, local societies, local groups of people creating subcultures within the greater fabric that shifts and changes the history of mankind. That is all I hope that you go out this week Connect with one another. Talk with your friends about this information. Listen to this episode again. Let it sink in. Digest this. Don't just have it something that you hear, but let it become something that you do because you and I definitely do not want to give everything over to centralized control. So go out this week, discern the truth, own the future.